the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to another edition of The Ride Home with John and Kathy, live from the Salem-Pittsburgh studios. And now, here are your hosts, John Hall and Kathy Emmons. Hey, good afternoon. Greetings. Thanks for coming along. The Thursday edition of The Ride Home. I would say, Kath, Thursday edition, but post-Christmas party edition. Yeah, I'm in a little bit of a fog. Are you? Yeah. Here's what happened. Um, I indulged. At the Christmas party. I mean, I think that's what it's for. Now, wait a second. Indulge. You, it wasn't mean like you were out, you know, drinking. There's no drinking at the word if I'm okay, Christmas party. All right, I'm saying. <laughs> plus, I'm not, plus, I'm not. I'm not personally a drinker, though. I'm sure there. But you, you know, say indulge. People, yeah, I indulged uh, mm-hmm. in amount of food. Yeah. Uh, this the spring house supplied our uh, mm-hmm. food for the party. Our luncheon. So I had uh, some baked apples. I had some chicken with stuffing and mm. gravy. And I had, wait, something else delicious. Alabama casserole. Alabama, thank you, vegetable Mm -hmm. casserole. Plus I had a roll, Mm -hmm. copious amounts of butter, and then two, not one, but two pieces of chocolate cream pie. Two, I missed that. Yeah, two pieces of chocolate cream pie. Mm -hmm. So I did not eat again until I came in today. Whoa. Because last night I went home. I was Mm -hmm. very busy last night doing a lot of things. And I thought, you know what? I I can skip it. I can skip it. Right. Because that was just a lot at it one time. It was an awful lot of food. Uh-huh. Well, I, uh, I I did not eat that much. You didn't. Yeah, no. you were very constrained. Mm-hmm. Where I was like crazy person. Well, I was leaning forward into the pie. Oh. And which, speaking of, uh-huh. you lean forward into the mm-hmm. pie even as we speak. I am. That's lovely. Cherry. Cherry pie. There's apple pie out there. There is, is pumpkin pie. Is there still apple? Really? Yeah. There's all this pie. There's like six pies in the <gasps> fridge. Mm-hmm. I might have to get a little piece at the 5 o'clock news break. Please. I mean, that's why I grabbed this, thinking I'm going to take it while I can. And there's Lex right now. Look at Lex. What's she doing? She's doing the spring house. Oh, my gosh. Mm. Are you, you're doing Alabama vegetable casserole yeah, and mashed potatoes. Mm. Nice. <laughs> so this is like the, even though it's not really, this is the leftover edition. It's, it is the leftover edition. Right, but I don't want to minimize it's today's the, show. It's the, it's the denouement. Right. Uh, coming up on uh, today's show, in the 5 o'clock hour, mm-hmm. uh, being overwhelmed. So last night, I just have a lot uh, going on right now as far as like holiday stuff. And uh, I woke up in the middle of the night. I was dead asleep having a, some dream, woke up and was instantly worried about all the things I have to do. Because you pile it on. Instantly worried about it. I mean, here's you. You're you're producing a talk show, a daily talk show. Mm-hmm. You're also the worship leader at a church mm-hmm. where there is Christmas week a, a, upon you. Sure. And then you're going to have 28 guests at your house. Right. I mean, you think your plate's full? It does seem it does seem kind of full. So at 2 a.m., that's what I was doing. <laughs> but it's not just holiday stuff. 
if you have health challenges in your life, mm-hmm. if you have uh, family members who are experiencing mental illness, if you have kids in trouble, Little if babies. you have uh, a friend of mine, her dog just uh, had uh, serious surgery, whatever your, I mean, there's no, no one's going to rank grief. No, you should not. Or depression or whatever it is. But when we look forward into the future, all of a sudden thoughts can start Gee. to tumble. Go fast, and and then in two minutes you're down the road at you know death's door, mm. and it's two in the morning, and you know that you're just going to be awake <laughs> for the next four hours. Sounds lovely, truly it does. Amy Julia Becker is going to be with us to talk about what that kind of anxiety is like and how it is that we can stop. Good. That cycle. We look forward to that Stop conversation. That cycle. Also, the Feast of Seven Fishes and Eight Other Pittsburgh Holiday Traditions. We're mm-hmm. going to talk about that at 535. I'm going to share um, what I'm planning for my Polish Christmas Eve. Oh, very nice. We'll just kind of give a window into people who do an ethnic a celebration. Mm-hmm. And then in the 4 o'clock hour, um, Christmas as an atheist. What does yeah, that look like? That? Yeah. Dr. Seigard will be with us. Very interesting. Okay, that's a lot. It right? is. So uh, before we even get started and with all of that. And I left my iPad at home. Mm, of course you did. Because you're overwhelmed. I was. I was concerned about other things. So before we get rid uh, rid of, before we dive into that, (laughs) let's uh, look at the news stories of the day, Kath. The top four at four. For Thursday, the 7th of December, 2023. It's Pearl Harbor Day. It is Pearl Harbor Day, number one. The Justice Department yesterday unsealed war crimes charges against four Russia-affiliated military personnel over their alleged detention and torture of an American citizen in Ukraine. The indictment alleges that two commanding officers in the Russian army and two lower-ranking personnel abducted a U.S. national living in Kherson, Ukraine, subsequently beat and tortured the individual. Attorney General Merrick Garland said the charges were the first ever brought under the War Crimes Act of 1996. What? Yeah. First ever. I can't get into too many details, he said at a press conference yesterday, but this is our first, and you should expect more. That's from today's dispatch. Number two. Embattled University of Pennsylvania President Liz McGill is under fire yet again for her response to anti-Semitic speech on campus. On Tuesday, she told a congressional hearing that calling for Jewish genocide is allowed, depending on context. Well, after 24 hours of backlash, she released a video refuting her previous statement. So here's what happened. She made this statement uh, before the U.S. House Education and Workforce Committee. She was there with uh, Harvard President Claudine Gay, MIT President Sally Kornbluth. And the question was, how are you handling the outbreak of anti-Semitism on your campuses? Crickets. So anyway, after she said that calling for a Jewish genocide is okay in context, the answer sparked outrage from both sides of the aisle, including our governor here in Pennsylvania. He said, quote, it shouldn't be hard to condemn genocide, (laughs) genocide against Jews or genocide against anyone else. So anyway, uh, she caved yesterday, Liz McGill. She said, I was not focused on, but should have been, the irrefutable fact that a call for genocide of Jewish people is a call for some of the most terrible violence human beings can perpetrate. It's evil, plain and simple. Mm-hmm. Okay, so that's good. Anyway, uh, a Jewish student at Penn, though, spoke up after uh, her statement. Uh, and he said that as a Jewish student, that he feels unsafe. 
He said, despite what my university says, let me be clear, I do not feel safe. That's from the Delaware Valley Journal. Well, you know, that's, that whole statement she made yesterday was just a, a PR company. It, well, that's all. It, I mean, PR. She, you could see her reading from a teleprompter. Right. I mean, it, and what, uh, watching the three of them answer those questions, it was horrible. wasn't it cringy? Yep. Like, what are you thinking? Number three, the 10 fake Republican. Uh, no, let me start again. <laughs> the 10 Republican fake electors. They're actual Republicans, mm-hmm. but they're fake electors who tried to overturn Wisconsin 2020 election results in former President Donald Trump's favor, agreed to a settlement yesterday, John, that acknowledged that the president, Joe Biden, won the election, which mm. is good because we're about to have another one. <laughs> anyway, the Republican electors also agreed not to serve as electors in 2024, thank goodness, or any election in which Trump is a candidate, and officially revoked their 2020 filings, falsely claiming Trump won Wisconsin. This is what they said, John, quote, we oppose any attempt to undermine the public's faith in the ultimate results of the 2020 presidential election. Well, that's a little late. Yeah. Thank you. We hereby withdraw the documents we executed in December of 2020 and request they be disregarded by the public and all entities to which they were submitted. How brave. Okay. It's from the dispatch also. And number four, to lighten the load, Emily Russell. She was working at an Ohio Chipotle when an angry customer, Rosemary Hain, threw a hot bowl of food in her face. Mm. An attack caught on video. Now, Hain, who was found guilty of assault, has agreed to work in a fast food restaurant to avoid jail time. And that is your top four at four. I don't understand restaurant rage. What is the deal with I, that? It feels as though we've we're uh, everyone unhinged. is like running around throwing food and jumping over counters and fist fights. What and, is happening? Six and ten retail employees witnessed a violent incident in their workplace in what the last the year. Okay. okay, but this is my favorite part of the story: is the judge. Okay, because this woman was originally sentenced to 180 days behind bars. Okay, but then the judge said, "Why should the city taxpayers pay for her?" And feed her for 90 days in jail if I might be able to teach her a sense of empathy. Great. So that's when he said, you know what? Get to work. Get to work. And so she did it. W- will she be at Chipotle, I wonder? That doesn't say what fast It doesn't food say. It, mm. does, it does not say. Right. <laughs> yeah. The woman, the woman who got the food in her face. She quit. She, she did quit she, because she felt unsupported by the restaurant chain. And she said Chipotle never even reached out to her after yeah. the incident. And she had to work four hours late, four hours after being hit in the face with the food. Covered with food. Yeah. <laughs> Chipotle has not responded. Okay, well, that's that's kind of a pick-me-up, but not I, really. I, mean, it's, I think the judge did a good thing, right? Yeah, I'm sure he did, yeah. I mean, okay. All right, we'll take a quick break. <laughs> Look, you take your happy stories where yeah. you can get them, I mean, John. at least it's not a war crime. I mean, what the heck? Okay, we'll take a quick break, come back. Uh, we are underway with a Thursday edition of The Ride Home. Bill Glaze will join us in a few minutes. Stick around. Pittsburgh's Christian Talk right here on Word FM. Remember the old 70s song, War. Whoa, 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 what is it good for? Absolutely nothing. You know the song? Yeah, I was just impressed. By, <laughs> all of a sudden, it was like a, 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 a rendition by, I'm by just saying. I mean, Mr. It's, Hall in the studio. Doesn't it run through your mind right. occasionally? Because what I, heck is war I haven't about? thought about that song in a long time. Oh, yeah, you know, Pastor Bill Glaze is with us. Bill Glaze is a regular guest on our show from Bethany Baptist Church. Bill, you know the song, don't you? Yeah, as a matter of fact, uh you kind of beat me to the punch because oh. I, I was going to share uh, some of the things from that song. You oh. know, like you said, you know, what is it good for? Absolutely nothing. And and then you know, there's a uh, a couple of lines in there. You know, the, there's one line that says, "War ain't nothing but a heartbreaker. Mm. War has got one friend, 
and that's the undertaker. Mm. So, you know, when you think about that, how, how true is that? You know, what what friend does war have, you know, other than uh, the undertaker? And, 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 you know, there's one part in there that really just kind of uh, breaks my heart. You know, it says war has shattered many a young man's dreams, made him disabled, bitter and mean. Mm. So, you know, when you when you think, uh, you know, just uh, how true, how uh, how, how not only historic was that song, but how prophetic was that song also? Amen. Uh, you know, yeah. yeah. I mean, you know, it's just uh, there's, there's just no good that that comes out of war. I guess in the end, you know, maybe somebody acquires some land, or you know, somebody uh, maybe is, is you know, and this might be you know the the key thing. Somebody gets their freedom, you know. Uh, but the fact of the matter is, is that you know, I mean, it's it's uh, takes a bunch of lives you know i was looking at you know you know even in america you know during the civil war you know we lost uh 620,000 lives during world war one you know 405,000 lives the vietnam war was almost 60,000 lives so you know uh you know it's just you know just all those you know lives were were taken you know as a as a result of war so you know it's it, it definitely is uh something that has has shattered not only many a young man's dreams but many a mother father you know uh children you know just shattered many people's dreams i'm into that i don't know what you know i don't know what the answer is it's not like there are uh there aren't issues that have risen throughout world history that demand a military response because sometimes evil is so overwhelming, Bill. It seems like that. It, what choice do you have? What choice do you have? How, how do you look at that? Well, yeah, you know, and, and it's interesting that you bring that up because in Romans 13, you know, it talks about, you know, governments and it says that the governments are terror to evil. And so that when when evil is is present, you know sometimes the only way that you can deal with it is war. Uh, but you know, as as you know, and, and a lot of people make a distinction between the Old Testament and the New Testament. You know, they say that you know the God of the Old Testament, you know, was a God of war and bloodshed, whereas Jesus came and he preached, you know, peace and love and you know uh, reconciliation. Uh, but you know, even when you look at the the New Testament, you know, in that passage in Romans, it says that the government is a terror to, to evil. And and so sometimes the only way that you can deal with uh, evil is, is war. You know, look at Hitler and all the, the Jewish people that he killed. And what was the only way that was, you know, he, you know, he had a, a goal of creating a, a certain race of people. And the only way to stop him, you know, was, was through war. You know, I even look at you know, in our country, you know, we had a civil war, uh, you know, that, you know, black people were uh, in slavery. Mm -hmm. And so the only way that that stopped, you know, was through a civil war. And, you know, even, uh, you know, we celebrate in the black community, uh, we celebrate uh, a holiday called Juneteenth. And uh, in Juneteenth is uh, recognizes the slaves that were freed in Texas. So even after the civil war, when the slaves had been freed, that, you know, there was uh, certain parts of our country that didn't let the slaves know they had been free. And so the government actually had to go down, uh, I, I believe it was in Texas, and they had to, you know, bring, you know, military strength to let people know that, you know, slaves had been freed and, and to let the, uh, the, uh, the slaves go. So you're absolutely right, uh, Kathy, when you say that sometimes war is the, is the only 
solution, you know, to, to deal with evil and to deal with terror. I'm into that. Bill Glaze is with us from Bethany Baptist Church. But, Bill, these are very strange times because now we have two major wars in the globe. I mean, of course, we are never without wars on this planet of Earth. But now right. especially it feels as though things are at a high boiling point where war and then rumors of war feel as though things are just overflowing. Yeah, and and you know a lot of people look at this and 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 say you know is this getting setting us up for you know the end of the world or or the tribulation? Uh, you know I, I look at the scripture and I see you know there's a whole lot of other things that got to take place. You know I, I just you know if you if you really look at it you know the the hearts of of men uh, or humankind is 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 evil, and you know we are, are selfish, and and sometimes if that's not controlled. Then you know you you know war is a result of that. You know there's a very interesting passage in the New Testament, and it's found in the book of James. and In James chapter four and verse one, it says, "Where, where does wars come from? Where does fighting come from?" You know, so I mean, it's asking the question. You know, where do these wars come from? Where do fighting come from? And it says they come because of your lust. Because you you de- you desire and you you lust after things, and so you know you look at what's going on between Russia and Ukraine. You know, uh, it's 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 the lust of maybe one country for what the 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 the, the land, uh, maybe the natural resources. Uh, you know, and and so there's there's that desire. Uh, even look at Israel uh, and and Hamas. You know, you know Hamas wants to. You know, and and they make no bones about it. In some of those terror groups against Israel, you know, they 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 say that you know we want to uh, drive Israel into the sea. You know, we want to eradicate Israel because we want you know we want that land. You know, and so you know it, it goes back to what James says. You know that it's you know your lust and your desire. That's that's where wars and fighting come from. So what does that mean? So if that's where wars and fighting comes from it comes from the darkness of our hearts and believe me that's not hard for me to believe <laughs> at all uh how how do you think we as christians talk about war um i don't ever want to err on the side of being a warmonger i also right. don't want to err on the side of being a pacifist all the times but i have a hard time finding a happy medium right well you know i, I think that uh you know one of the things that the scripture is, is very clear about you know, it, it says in uh, Hebrews that we should seek peace with all. And and so, you know, first and foremost, you know, the thing should be set, tried to be settled by peaceful means. You know, and even the message of Christ, you know, what was his, his was what love your enemies. And so, you know, if I'm getting ready to go to war with somebody, then that means that person is my enemy. And so, you know, there should, you know, you know, again, there should be that love. And there should be that that coming together, you know, because, I, you know, one of the things that I think about think about and it just blows my mind is the fact that, you know, in a war, you, you have Christians on both sides. Yeah. You know, right. and, and, and you have Christians fighting against, against each other. And, and so, you know, you look at that and it seems like, you know, first and foremost that, you know, peace should be sought after. And then I think that, you know, once, you know, you've tried that and it seems like. And, and this is what they call a just war. And, you know, af- after all the efforts to settle a conflict peacefully have failed, then at that point, you know, uh, you can carry out a war. But, you know, again, I think that there are even standards that need to be in place, you know, when you carry out that war, you know, and you, you, you really need to try to minimize 
uh, civilian casualties. You yeah. know, you just can't, you know, go all willy-nilly and, you know, with the war. Uh, and, and so I think that there are even things that need to be in place, you know, once, you know, it's decided that, that you know, a war is going to uh, take place. Right. A just war. I mean, we talk about that often. Is this a just war? And, of course, I mean, it's shocking, Bill, to see what's happening across the country and around the world. I mean, we always want to have a good guy and a bad guy. And, of course, war is graded uh, oftentimes in shades of deep gray. But what's happened with Israel and Hamas and to see it feels as though it's a generational push that, you know, us, the older heads Mm. are going, Israel is just, especially from our perspective as believers, Israel is just. And of course, from a younger perspective, especially on college campuses, we've talked about this. I mean, Hamas is being held up as, as a victim, even though they were the perpetrators. It's right. it's difficult to find some clarity here and to hear people speak out forcefully of this is the truth and this is what we should be doing as a country. Right, right. And, and you know, I, 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 and I'm all for education. You know, I've, I've got a bachelor's degree uh, you know, from a, a, a secular uh, school, so I'm all for that. But I think that you know that's that's a part of the problem is, is a lot of the professors you know are getting the hearts and the minds of these young people, yes. and 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 they are uh, putting you know thoughts in, uh, you know as far as you know Israel and Hamas and how Israel is being a bully and things like that. Where you know it, it seems like you know somewhere there needs to be like a balance, you know that uh, that that they're taught, you know, how, how you balance this thing out and not necessarily, you know, look at, you know, from one, one standpoint or the other. Amen to that. Mm-hmm. Bill, thanks for joining us. It's always a pleasure to have you with us. Um, you speak the truth, my friend. Thank you, my brother and my sister. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Always good to talk to you, Bill. Bill Glaze, Bethany Baptist Church. He is talking about war and what the Bible says about war. today's Guardian about the secret sauna and why Finland is the happiest country in the world. Uh, have you uh, in your life, Kath, been dishonest? I've only been to two. I was at a like a resort type of thing and uh, availed myself. I, while I was sitting in there, <laughs> I wasn't sure what was supposed to be happening. Mm-hmm. Like, and I, I'm sure perhaps that impeded the healthful benefit. Right. So you were anxious maybe a little. Well, I just, I was sitting there thinking, so am I, like, are toxins supposed to be coming out of my skin? Am I supposed to be experiencing mental rest? Like, what? what is this for? Mm-hmm. All right. Well, uh, Finland, a country of uh, some 5 million people, has 3.3 million saunas in the country. Wow. It is a regular communal event. 
uh, public saunas are often overflowing, and people go to these public saunas oftentimes once or twice a day. Um, there's a town. Once or twice a day? Yeah. I mean, you could spend a lot of time there. Okay. There's a town called Tempra, which is about uh, an hour and a half north of uh, Helsinki. Uh, 60 public saunas in a city of about 250,000 inhabitants. So many saunas in this town that it was included in a UNESCO, a World Heritage Site. Now, uh, Because of the number of saunas? Yes. Mm-hmm. That's how deep saunas are ingrained. Um, built in uh, 1906, the main sauna, not flashy, a queue forms outside the door at about uh, 2 p.m., and people stream in through the ticket booth that leads to male or female changing rooms, and then soon the sauna, divided by a wall, with separate sections for men and women, and young children can crawl between a little place to go between and see mm-hmm. their parents, echoing with voices and the sound of steam from the sauna rocks. Some people come straight from the office. Other people come in during the day, return later on in the evening, like I said. Saunas have rules of governing, topics of conversation, discouraging, for example, discussions of politics, business, and religion. Everything else goes. Uh, Quote, you have left wing, you have right wing, you have punks, you have architects, you have artists. Everyone sits up there, and they talk, and they drink, and of course, it gets heated sometime. That's how it should be. How heated? Listen to this. Okay. You go into a sauna after washing your body with buckets of fresh water from a basin at the bottom floor. And this the uh, reporter here from The Guardian talks about the sauna experience. I ascend the stairs to the top level where the temperature is 80 degrees Celsius. Wow. Which is 176 <gasps> degrees what? Fahrenheit. Mm-hmm. As the men next door pour water on stones, I start to feel something called the loyally. Now, the loyally is this, um, it's a word that literally trans- uh, translates as steam or heat. But the reporter says it doesn't come close to capturing it. It compares the experience of a good loyally to an intense hug. It is a spiritual thing, he says. Every sauna has a different loyally, and its quality can vary in the same sauna from day to day or even hour to hour as the heat drops. But what's this word? Spell it for me. Uh, L-O-Y-L-Y. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, quote, if guests come to the sauna... They are my hardishest critics, and if the loyally is not good, then they are a little bit sad. So the, the person who runs one of these saunas says, I try to create the best loyally as I possibly can. Now, you don't stay, obviously, in these saunas long. How long? 15 minutes max. Oh. Then you go out, and there are public benches. There's alcohol that's served. You wrap a towel around yourself and sit outside for a while and then go back inside again. Now, wait, you, you, you sit. You don't go like outside. Outside. Like, outside. Outside. So the extreme heat to the extreme cold. They say saunas are a place where you don't have to worry about how you look, where everyone is equal, stripped of status. Also, while pregnant women are often advised to avoid saunas in other countries, in Finland, it is considered a normal activity during pregnancy and accompanied by young children. Mm-hmm. Especially when you just about go into labor, um, the, the Finnish uh, uh, phrase is sauna, frivolity, and cleaning are the things you should do before giving birth. Fascinating. Okay, so no, wait. <laughs> we got to back up the bus here. 
we're almost out of time in this we segment. Are. This is this is way too short mm-hmm. for you to introduce a subject like this. Sorry. What does but this mean? Is. Does this mean that you go from the hundred and what was it? One hundred and seventy-five degrees. And then then you, you step outside, and you sit at a picnic table. You have yourself a drink. You hang out. You talk a little bit. And then if the spirit moves you, the loyally moves you, you go back inside and do it all over again. Going from the super hot mm-hmm. to, to the, the super, super cold. cold to the super hot back in again. I mean, Finland regularly, six years in a row, voted the happiest place on earth. And they're saying in this article in today's Guardian that the saunas are the key to that happiness. 3.3 million saunas in I'm a country of 5 million I, people. I need to investigate this further. We need to take a break, though. When we come back, I'm not going to ask Dr. Seigard, a biochemist, about a sauna. That might be interesting. We are going to talk, though, about Christmas as an atheist, so stay with us. It's the Thursday edition of On the Ride Home. Well, Christmas is upon us, and I think all of us have memories, of course, of Christmas when we were children. What was that like? What were the experiences like? Everybody has family stories. Well, Cy Gart is with us, and Cy has been a regular guest of our show for many years. He has a very particular childhood remembrance. Cy is a biochemist, and uh, he has taught at different universities around the country, author of a book that we love called The Work of His Hands, A Scientist's Journey from Atheism to Faith. Cy, welcome back to the show. Thanks. Great to be here. So, Sai, as a kid, uh, talk about your family and what the holidays were like for you. Well, uh, as I discuss in the book, <laughs> also discussed on many uh, online venues, I grew up in an atheist family. They were militant atheists and also communists. And uh, we had no religion whatsoever. Uh, I, I was the kind of atheist who, I, I didn't say that there wasn't enough evidence to believe in God. I knew there was no God. I was absolutely sure of that. And that religion was, you know, the the enemy of humanity. That was the communist line. So what were Christmas like when I was a kid? There was no such thing. <laughs> we, there was no tree. There were no presents. There was nothing. Wow, was really, Si? Yeah, it's pretty unusual. I, I had known one or two other kids who grow up in that kind of environment who have the same thing, but it's pretty rare. Yeah. So no tree, no presents. Yeah. You yeah. wake up on December 25th. It's like any other day. Yeah. Well, it's worse because everybody else is having a good time. <laughs> and um, I knew that. I mean, I was a kid. Yeah. You know, I heard Christmas carols everywhere I went. Everybody was saying Merry Christmas. Uh, and if, if they, I lived in Brooklyn, which was half Catholic and half Jewish. And the Jewish kids were celebrating, you know, Hanukkah. They had menorahs. Everybody was celebrating something. Not me. Wow. We did actually exchange gifts, but not until New Year's Day, because that's what they did in Russia and the Soviet Union. Wow. Wow. Okay. So what we, about, we did, follow the, the Russia, the Soviet example. <laughs> did you have siblings? Yes, I have an older sister. And how did, and how did you two navigate that? Well, she's eight years older than me, and and I don't really remember um, how she dealt with it. I mean, she grew up the same way I did, uh, and but I do I, the way I navigated it was with great difficulty. I had a lot of trouble. I bet one of the things that really bothered me was everywhere I went, I heard Christmas carols, and either I didn't know what they meant, I didn't understand the words, or I just didn't like them. But there was one exception to that. 
and that was Silent Night. I loved that song. And the reason I loved it was one line, which was very simple. All is calm. Mm. All is bright. And when I heard that, it, it really struck a chord in me because calmness was something that was not part of my life. <laughs> there was nothing calm about, you know, my childhood or my early youth. Mm. And it was soothing. And I, I began to put things together. Okay, there was a baby. The baby was somehow special. Not quite sure why. But there was a lot of love involved and calmness. And it it was a really nice thought. You know, I mean, I, I'm coming to this from a vacuum. No, no background at all. Yeah. But even with that, that's what got me through. That idea that, okay, this may be a, a, an evil day, of, you know, that, that bad people worship terrible things, but there's something about it that must be okay because there's this loving couple who have a baby that is somehow special and all is calm. And that helped me get through it. Wow. And later, of course, uh, many, many years later, I dropped my communism pretty quickly I became an agnostic instead of an atheist, and this is all the story of my book. And eventually I became a Christian, and, it, and but that was, I was already in middle age. And I even, the first time I had a tree was um, around 25 years ago. Wow. Son. And it was incredibly special. And now, of course, I'm a different person, so it's all changed. So... A very hard childhood for you, trying to make sense of this. And then, of course, you go out as a young adult and live in the world. You you had to be invited to Christmas meals or experiences with friends or people that you were in college with or people you were in work with. Did you continue that no Christmas all those many years? No, no. Uh, by the time I was, I mean, I... I had girlfriends who were Christians. I had friends who were, or, or at least in Christian families. They may not have been observant, but they were, you know, certainly observed Christmas. Sure. And I remember, I, this was in New York, and I remember loving the idea of walking around in the evening and seeing all the Christmas lights sure. on the on the huge buildings, you know, on, on, the, on, the, on the, the residential buildings and the, the balconies and terraces. And I love the, I, I still love Christmas lights. I yeah. mean, I will drive around my neighborhood now just to look at the Christmas lights. Yeah, yeah. Um, and again, so, it's the same idea. It's the same idea of calmness and love. Yeah. Which, if you think about it, it's kind of the, kind of the basis of what Christ came to tell us. You know that love each other. That's number one, right? That was very clear. And. You know, you can be calm because there's nothing to worry about. If you have faith, you're done. I mean, you, you don't have to worry anymore. Yeah. And I didn't learn that lesson for a long time. But when I did, it all made sense to me, you know, why I was able to get through that. And, yeah, as an older person, as an older teenager, for example, and, and a, a young young man, I, I had no problem going to Christmas parties and saying the words and I didn't know what it, I, I eventually learned what it meant, you know, and I, of course, didn't believe it. But as many people who celebrate Christmas don't believe it, but there's still something about the holiday that is 
that does something to you, just like it did to me, just like hearing Silent Night did to me. It's an amazing holiday. I mean, it's, I don't know anything else like it. I mean, I'm not, I, I don't know much about many other religions, but there's something about Christmas that I think is really, really special. Mm. And, mm. and you know, it's because of that baby. <laughs> so, Cy, that first Christmas, now you mm-hmm. had a Christmas tree, you said, uh, 25 yeah. years ago. But that right. first Christmas, when you would say, you could say out loud to yourself, mm-hmm. I believe in Jesus Christ. Right. What was that like? I, hard to describe. I, I I'm not even going to try because I, I, I won't make it through. <laughs> yeah. I start to tear up thinking uh, about it. I do remember looking. It was a very small tree. <laughs> and um, But it was a tree, and it had a star on top. And I just looked at it and cried. Mm. You know, I was just... I didn't think I would ever be at the point where I could deserve to to be able to say that I worship Christ. And that was part of my conversion, was that Christ assured me that I did deserve it. Dr. Sigard is with us. He's a biochemist. He's taught right here at the University of Pittsburgh, also at NYU and Rutgers, author of the book, The Works of His Hands, A Scientist's Journey from Atheism to Faith. Um, Sai, when you went through your conversion experience, were your parents still living? No. Uh, well... Uh, my father was still alive at the very beginning of it, but I never discussed it with him. Mm-hmm. Okay. Too much he had no be. idea. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, that would have been impossible for him to. And handle. your sister? <laughs> yeah, my sister is still alive. She's doing well. Um, we we see each other frequently. She lives not that far from me, Good. and we're in touch. She has... Uh, I, I can't really easily describe her her faith journey, but it's been a very different one, and she's gone through several interesting uh, religious experiences. Um, as I say, it's complex, and sure, I, I, sure. I can't really define it well. She's not a Christian, but um, she has had some major faith experiences, and she's a very spiritual person, okay. which I think I always was too. <laughs> uh, but, you know, it was kind of suppressed, to say the least, uh, sure. yeah, so, as a child. So I know it's difficult uh, to make sense of our families looking back at them, because we're part mm-hmm. of it. You know what I mean? We can't, yeah. we can't like, remove or separate ourselves from it. Thank you. Right. But uh, how do you, like, try your best maybe to make sense of what your parents were thinking. Um, what, yeah. what, what drove them to that worldview and yeah. what took you out of it? Okay. So that's a really good question, Kathy. And I think it's extremely important for us today to think about this. My, I'll just answer your question directly. And I think you'll see uh, my, pa- my parents uh, had grown up. Their parents were communists Uh, and atheists. And they both grew up, my mother especially, in a very, very poor uh, household. They they really didn't have much to eat. And the ideology of communism, which was attractive to my grandparents, was that it seemed to be a way out of poverty. Mm -hmm. And what happened was, so, so there are some things about communism Socialism, whatever that are that are attractive, that are even similar to Christian, sure, to yeah, of course, in some ways, right? Um, 
you know, do good to people, justice, all that. The problem is that it was completely perverted and and, and destroyed by the, the Russian Soviet system, the Stalinist system. The, the real problem is that even though it was so perverted, the true believers would not give it up. They wouldn't see, most of them, some of them did, but they could not see the the terrible fundamental problems that were occurring in the, the the modern communist system. And my mother in particular never, ever wavered one inch from the Stalinist line hmm. up through her death in 1990. She, the reason I left was the invasion of Czechoslovakia in 1968. And I, I asked my mother, uh, how, how do you do defend this and she couldn't but she still defended it but she had no reason to mm, she could okay. give me a reason and i just said okay well I, I you know i forget about it i'm not in this anymore i don't believe in this anymore so that was when i was a teenager yeah so so we, we gotta break for a minute can you stay with us over uh while sure. we take a break for commercial Sure, sure. Excellent. is with us. He is the author of The Works of His Hands, A Scientist's Journey from Atheism to Faith. Stay with us. Saigard is with us, and we're talking about his life as a non-believer and where he is now, especially around Christmas. Sai, we only have about a minute and a half, and we're sorry for this. Yeah. But, but this yeah, is important to hear. Yeah, and we're so, I mean, John and I are both just blown away. Yeah, and we feel honored to, that you shared the story with us today. But where are you now? Looking back on all of that, I mean, all of that journey is a part of who you are now. Yeah, I, I I think I use it when I can to understand a lot of things, especially the fact that one thing I will never do is follow a line. Mm. That, that was always the thing that the communists said, is you have to follow the line, hmm. whatever the, whatever we get from Moscow. We have. I don't do that. I don't do that in politics. I don't do that in religion. I don't do that in, in any anything, and I think nobody should. Yeah. We should always... I don't know it in science either, by the way. We should always question and ask. And there is no absolute truth except for one, which is the truth of Jesus Christ. And that is absolute. And everything else, we have to question. I'm into that. Well, Cy, we're grateful for your presence here. Uh, this is a story that we, we knew a little briefly, yeah. but to peel it back and to understand the heartbreak of it all. Especially I mean, around the holidays. It's just kind right. of, yeah. you know, it's given us a, a new window into it. We are grateful for you, Cy. Yeah, and truly, Merry Christmas, especially In here the fullest sense of the word. Truly. I hope you have a merry, merry Christmas this year, Cy. Thank you so much, and the Merry Christmas to you both. That's Dr. Seigart. You can check out his book, The Works of His Hands, A Scientist's Journey from Atheism to Faith. Welcome to another edition of The Ride Home with John and Kathy, live from the Salem-Pittsburgh studios. And now, here are your hosts, John Hall and Kathy Emmons. Hey, good afternoon. Thursday evening, and the sun has set. We appreciate you being with us here on the ride home. Hope it's a smooth ride, and there's no accidents or... How long did it take you to get home last night? More than an hour yesterday. More than a, It's very slow, <laughs> drifting, riding the brake. Very, very <laughs> That's slow. That's when you think it's really good that... 
yeah, I'm not driving a stick. <laughs> you got that right. Because <laughs> yeah. my left leg would be yeah. And you're grateful for the cell phone because at least you can talk on the right. phone. Right. right. You, you connect with family and friends. Anyway, um, you, you, Kathy, you know this reoccurring nightmare. This is a pretty common nightmare. The one where you find out that there's a math test uh, worth 90% of your grades, but you don't even know about the class. Yes. Right. It, it's never math um, right. for me. It's, all, it's another class. Oh, it's always math. Oh, me. is it really? Uh, yeah. Okay. And weeping, right? Thinking about Yes. I, I, I don't understand the math. Yeah. Unfortunately, we have a scarier scenario that's coming upon us. Um, working while you sleep in actuality. The worst part about this nightmare is that it's real. Tech startup Prophetic has already raised more than a million dollars to develop a headpiece called the Halo, which the company said could one day allow users to control their dreams. Oh, my gosh. Now, in this controlling lucid dream state between wake and sleep, an individual is aware that they are dreaming. If tech, so says the people from Prophetic, if tech could harness those lucid dreams, they would, in theory, be able to induce them on demand and use that time productively. Prophetic is on it. The headband is worn. It's a little headband, like a crown, and releases sound waves into the region of the brain responsible for lucid dreams. Then the beams, <laughs> the beams, the beam will then activate, excuse me, activate parts of the brain that control our awareness and decision making. The product's tech is based on ongoing research in the Netherlands. And they're saying that this is a distinct possibility that if you choose or if your employer requires, you will soon someday be able to take those eight hours you spend sleeping and turn them into productive use. It's the end of the world. It really is. <laughs> That's mm-hmm. the most dystopian news story I've seen right. in a while. Prophetic says, we spend about one third of our lives asleep, so why not use it to your advantage? That's sick. That's horrible. It sounds like 1984. It does. That's the first thing I was thinking of. Right? Someone's going to come into my dreams and tell me to work. Right. It's Brave New World. (sighs) Holy cow. And, you know, that illusion of control Hmm. is so attractive to us humans. It is so attractive. That That we can control our dreams. Right. We can control our dreams. So now, you know, we can control our future. Right. You can decide what you dream, whatever you want and achieve them. Right. So you can be whoever you want to be. You can be whatever you want to be. You can change your hair color. You can change your gender. You can change your name. You can change your pronoun. You can change your workplace. You can work from home. If you don't like going into the office, you can come late. If you don't want to be on time, you can use your sick day as a vacation day. If you want. Or now, you can work from home or work from your dream. You can do whatever you want. Are you going to come into the office? No, I'll work from home. Are you going to come into the office? No, I'll work in my dream instead. You know, what's sick about it is that that, all of those things that we're trying to control, many of them are outside what we're supposed to be controlling. And so it becomes overwhelming exhausting and anxiety producing because right. we have to decide everything. Well, just the name itself of the company, prophetic. Yes. I the mean, it's prophecy so, it? that is yeah, upon right. us. That's so freaky. Lexi, it's the hunger games, isn't it? It, it? it feels like it. It sure does. I mean, don't you love the dream? 
I love, I love to dream because it's you. It's a free. It's I know, a, and I congratulate my unexpected. subconscious on I, outstanding yeah. plots and <laughs> twists and things. It's the freest you are in many ways. Yeah. You're safe and warm in your own little bed, and you're on a journey. And, and it it's just, nobody else's mm-mm. thing. You know, you it's just not. Float along. And it's nothing you have to control. That's the thing. You know, I heard a Liz Bruning who is a New York Times columnist. or Now she writes for The Atlantic. She's been with us. Right. She's been with us several times. She is a Roman Catholic, Mm -hmm. and she is a strong voice on Twitter. Yeah. When she spoke out maybe, I don't know, six months ago or so, uh, in talking of her Catholicism, which she does often, and she said, here's the thing. She said, if the church decides something... Like the church makes a determination. I just do it. Oh, really? Yeah. Like if it, no, if, if the church says that we're fasting on Friday. She does it. I'm fasting on Friday. If the church says no to contraception, then Interesting. I'm not using contraception. And this is what she said. She said, because here's the thing. She said, you're all going to make fun of me. You people are going to say, oh, my gosh, she's an idiot. First of all, she's an incredibly intelligent woman. Sure she said, here's the thing. She said, my mind... And I would dare to say the human mind is not set up to be making every single choice. We don't have enough brain power, information, or energy to be doing that. And so I need to submit myself to somebody I trust. But wait, though, we just had Cy Gard on. He says he does not follow the line. I'm just saying that's her perspective. I'm not saying it's right. I mean, I'm just saying grew up it's in a communist household. They were following that line. Right. Someone told them to do this. That's what they had to do. I'm again. I'm not advocating for her perspective. I'm just saying that's what it is. Right. Because the the point is, we have too many decisions. We have to too make. many choices. Right. We are becoming anxiety ridden because of the number of choices too that are many. before us. I mean, we make thousands of choices. Too every many day, options. Right. Every day. I don't want to surrender that. To especially some tech company called Prophetic oh that I wear a little headband called Halo me? and go on some, you know, I have to do a job for them, they'd probably fire me. <laughs> we'll take a break. Be right back. <laughs> Just last night, John, I uh, I woke somewhere, you know, in the long reaches of the dark night, and I went from being completely asleep to my mind racing. It's like from zero to ten, and I was just going through all these things that I had to do, and oh my gosh. And you know what, what I mean, that you start out anxious, and then you start thinking about things that could happen, and then they turn into other things that could happen. And then all of a sudden, it takes like 30 seconds, and you're down some road mentally that really doesn't have any basis in reality, but is really chock full of emotion. You've just made me anxious describing this. (laughs) Because you know it so well? Yes, of course. Right? Right? I mean, it's a common theme in our our lives. Oh, my gosh. Anyway, to talk about this, Amy Julia Becker's back with us. Amy writes on personal, spiritual, and social healing, author of several books, including her latest, To Be Made Well, An Invitation to Wholeness, Healing, and Hope. Amy Julia, welcome back. Thanks so much for having me. It's great to be here. Always a pleasure, Amy. So, Amy, uh, you wrote a Facebook post about this overwhelming attitude that Kath just uh, described very well, and it centers around your daughter, Penny. Now, for people who don't know you and Penny, tell us that and then move the story forward. Sure. 
Penny is my oldest daughter. She's 17 years old, and she has Down syndrome, and her birthday is coming up. So she's about to turn 18. And for any parent of a child with a disability, especially probably an intellectual disability, turning 18 brings with it decisions about whether or not uh, we should petition for guardianship or whether we should find another way for her to be both protected and given you know, rights as an adult moving forward, not to mention just questions about what happens after high school and will she have a job and will she have independent living at some point in her life and should she go to college? And I'm sure all parents face overwhelming questions just like Kathy described, right. not only parents of children with disabilities. But that was my particular space of overwhelm uh, this yeah. past week when I wrote that post. And all that to say that Penny's doing great, right? Oh, totally doing great. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> she's had a great senior year in high school. She's on the cheerleading team. She's dancing. She's on the yearbook. She loves her classes. And in part, in some ways, that's part of my sense of overwhelm, actually, is what if that changes in the future? How do we keep a good life going for her? You know, um, yeah, I, I have all these questions. And yet you're absolutely right. Things things are good. So, uh the emotions yet are uncontrolled and uncontrollable, especially mm-hmm. in, in the especially in the dark of night. Um, and uh, but you talked in the post, and this is what jumped out at me um, about spiritual imagination and how you mm-hmm. feel like it can play a part um, when we get into these uh, situations that appear overwhelming to us. Yeah, you know, it was actually when Penny was very little that I first started thinking about the spiritual imagination. And I, so what I mean by that is not like coming up with a fantasy world, but literally images, like imagining having images of something in the future that is really guided by God. And so it's not necessarily exactly what is going to happen. But it's a way of thinking kind of in conversation with the Holy Spirit and other people of faith about what might be in the future. So looking ahead with hope, with a sense of trust in the promises of God and the goodness of God and the love of God for our families and for our world, um, and asking God to really help me, in this case, envision a future on the other side of 18 for a penny that is in keeping with what God has already done in her life, which is to say all sorts of good things rather than imagining the worst case scenario and all of the fears and all of the things that could go wrong. So it is a really different way of thinking about what's coming. Right. And that's powerful, and it's also tricky. It's just the human condition that you see God and all his goodness and his grace and his mercy, what he has done and provided for you and your family, and especially for Penny. But at the same time, the weirdness of the creep of the fear can reach up and overwhelm you in a heartbeat. Absolutely. Um, and I think there's a there's a um, culture of fear that we live in. I mean, there's a lot of news right now about how much anxiety there is in our culture. And that's true for teenagers, but it's also true for adults. And so to try to navigate out of a place of believing that love is actually the strongest power and we have access to it um, and not living from that place of fear all the time is actually an act of like resistance that's really hard. Um, and yet when we are able to live in that place, I do think it helps us to live in hope and trust and patience and perseverance and um, all of these things that God wants for us. Amy Julia Becker is with us, author. 
author of To Be Made Well, An Invitation to Wholeness, Healing, and Hope. She hosts the Love is Stronger Than Fear podcast. Um, Amy, I want to break down some of the particulars about spiritual imagination that you talked about, because I think mm-hmm. when we when we use those words, like you said, you know that people are going to hear that and say, oh, wait a minute. So this is just like inviting God into this fantasy that I'm coming up with. And that's mm-hmm. not what you're talking about. So let's... Um, I want to go into some of the points that you mentioned in your post about actually what using spiritual imagination would look like. Yeah, so I, in the post, enumerated four different things. So the first is to actually gather with other people of faith and pray together, to literally say, can we together ask the Spirit of God to direct our vision, our imagination for what might happen? But then within that, and this is point number two, to use Scripture as a guide. So to say, okay, what does, what does Jesus, I mean, a lot of Jesus' parables are kind of um, what I would say is use of his spiritual imagination uh, to describe what the kingdom of God is like. So that gives us a really wonderful guide for our own imagination. Um, so, you know, we're not imagining a situation in which we go rob banks and therefore have lots of money, right? We're, we're using scripture and the character of God to guide and form and limit, but also expand the possibilities of what could be in the future. And then, so you've got other people praying together, scripture as a guide, but then also for me, noticing what are the things that I envision and I'm afraid to hope for? Um, What are the things that I say, oh, well, that could never happen. There's no way that uh, it could be that good. There's no way that uh, people could actually be kind or that could, you know, in my case, get a job or go to college. And so trying to say, what if I actually brought, again, Scripture and the community of believers into that place of uh, fear and resistance and trusted and began to actually live into that place? And then finally, One of the things that has helped me so much to actually envision and imagine a good future for my daughter is to look at people who are living that way. So I don't expect Penny to have the same life as a 28-year-old with Down syndrome who I meet. And yet that 28-year-old with Down syndrome can still give me a vision for what Penny's future might be like. So all of those things, you know, gathering with people of faith, using scripture as a guide, noticing resistance, and then looking for current uh, images of the future that can help my imagination, all of those things can help me um, move forward with hope and trust and faith um, and peace in my heart, rather than that, you know, heart pounding in the middle of the night fear. Mm-hmm. What you're describing, Amy Julia, is the community of God, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, Mm. you're connected with so many other people like we are, and you reach out and hear these stories and these experiences. There is a community of God that surrounds you. Absolutely. And to um, kind of harness that community, right? I mean, to say, I am afraid and I need help in order for me to live out of these promises that God has given to me and to my family, I I need to not be alone. And I need some other people to speak into this fear with great compassion, um, but also with great hope. I love that. Amy, I think it's also, I don't know, it's been so important for me to have friends who are older than me. Um, who've gone, who have kids who are, you know, in like the, the stage before mine. 
Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Or in the career, like the career stage before mine or whatever. And also how important it is to have friends that are younger than me. I just, I think for a mm-hmm. lot of my life, I just had friends that were exactly my age. And then it wasn't until I really got involved in the life of my church yep. that it really, mm. op- it really opened up for me. Well, you see people who are a decade or two beyond yep. you, right? Yep. 20 years older than you. And this is where they've been. I mean, that's yep. a wealth it, of experience. It really, it, I mean, and John and I say this all the time to each other. What do people do without a church? Boy, you got that right. I mean, what do you, yeah, so, yeah. yeah, so, so Amy, talk about that, about friends that are in different stages. You know, you bring up such a good point. Even with this post, I literally had, uh, I think four different people reach out to me who read this. One was this person who is a special educator and another three were moms, two who were a little bit ahead of me and one who's a little behind me. And they all said, Hey, in in the case of the people who are a couple years ahead, we have navigated this, and I'd love to tell you what we've learned from the experience. Mm. And in the case of the special educator, I just went to a conference asking these questions. Here are the resources, and they're just people. I mean, who in some cases I've never even met them, and yet they saw this post and said, "Oh, here I can help you." So it was really a beautiful answer, honestly, to an unspoken prayer. I did. I wasn't thinking, oh, I'll put this post up and, and people will help me, but they did. Um, and then similarly, there were co- some people who were, you know, it, with kids younger than mine who said, please, you know, send along what you learn. Like I'm on this journey as well. So I think it was such this little affirmation that we are not alone. It, whatever we are afraid of and whatever we are, um, yeah, thinking about in the middle of the night, somebody else is too. And we're not alone in the sense that there are people, as you said, who have gone ahead of us and we are going to get the opportunity to give it to the people who are coming behind us, which is really beautiful. Excellent. Amy Julia Becker's with us. Amy Julia, if people want to connect with you, um, you're out there online. There are resources. So where where can people find you? Yeah. So the easiest thing is probably my website, which is just amyjuliabecker.com. But you also can type Amy Julia Becker into most social media, you know, positions and find me as well. And uh, the books are all available on Amazon and wherever books are sold. Excellent. Amy Julia, you've been with us for a long time over the many years. Mm -hmm. Uh, You feel like family. So Merry Christmas to you and yours. Oh, thank you so much. You too. Amy Julia Becker, easily found online. sense does what make sense vaseline and i don't mean the lotion i mean the traditional base level petroleum jelly does that make sense it seems a little outdated Mm. now i remember being a kid i had like this uh, really bad habit of Licking my top uh, lip in the winter. It was in always the, chapped. Yeah. Every every uh, school photo of me, I have three <laughs> lips. And so I remember my mother saying, "Put the Vaseline on." Right. No, that was decades ago. I don't. I no longer do that. Just Thank goodness to all of us. I, I, I mean, some things that are old and still stick around are are old and necessary because they do the job that they're supposed to do. Like oatmeal. Oatmeal and Vaseline? Oh, oh, I just was thinking about something that oh, okay. still does its job. I mean, even though I don't use it, I don't. I guess Vaseline makes sense. Well, I need to start off by saying it's a disgusting consistency. Oh, really? 
Oh, I mean, it's don't you think? No, not in the oh, least. Oh, I think it's, I think it's profoundly gross. No, I, I think I, actually, I think it's a good. Con- I like it. It's kind of smooth and a little. There's a little oil to it. It's I, okay. That's so we can differ on that. I think it's a disgusting consistency. Okay, right. um, I think it smells weird. However, it makes so much sense that I I can overcome both of those objections. I there's I use it all the time. What? <laughs> I use it for so many things. Really? Yes. I mean, it's a it's a great skin conditioner. Hmm. If you have a burn, mm. it's very good. Mm-hmm. If you have any kind of cut, any type mm-hmm. of rash, any type of anything, Vaseline might not fix it, but it's going to make it a little better. Really? Just a little better. It's good on your eyes. It's good on your... How about your elbow? It's good on the elbow, right? If you have a, something going, like a little scratch on a piece of furniture, you just go in with a Q-tip, just a little bit of Vaseline. I mean, it does. And that's just scratching the surface. It make it okay. just makes all the sense, John. Makes sense. All right, does this make sense? I got carried away. I'm you sorry. did. Does this make sense? Taco Bell. Oh. I mean, a burrito supreme. Yeah. A couple of tacos in a bag. How about the cinnamon crisps? Taco Bell. Does that make sense to you? Absolutely not. I've what? Nev- I've never been to Taco Bell uh, a single time. You what? I've never, You've never in my life been to Taco You're Bell. You're missing out because it seems like it's bad food, cheap. I I, di- I disagree. Do you, really? I, so I you think it makes sense? Yeah, I think it makes perfect sense. No, I don't think it like does. Like the burrito supreme at Taco Bell, to me is like a, a gift. It can't be a gift. It is. It probably costs seventy nine cents. It's excellent. Taco Bell makes sense. <laughs> Well, it's December 7th, and we are firmly within the grasp of Christmas. Mm-hmm. We are truly here, right? We are. I mean, uh, it's, what, two weeks away on Sunday? Two weeks from Sunday is okay. Christmas Eve. All right. So considering what we do here in Pittsburgh, because like a lot of cities, although especially Rust Belt cities, there is a lot of ethnicity still in the mix of, you know, the melting pot. Yes. Right? Yeah. Cities like Pittsburgh, Cleveland, Chicago, Cleveland. Yeah. We, we are firmly within the grip of that. So when you think about, you know, the Feast of the Seven Fishes, mm-hmm. very Italian, right? We, yeah. And we all know that even though we're not Italian. Sure. And to be honest, I wish I was Italian to have that. Yeah, I, because it's, that's a very cool thing. Yes. Because traditions are really cool. Yeah, exactly. Okay. So you uh, famously, uh, Kathy Bletchars. Mm-hmm. My maiden name. Mm-hmm. Um, as a Pole, as a Polish-American. Mm-hmm. What are you doing? So if you follow the traditional Polish custom, mm-hmm. uh, Christmas Eve is the big holiday. Bigger Christmas, than Christmas. Yes. Christmas Day is an afterthought. So probably, like your, like your dad, Stanley Bletchars, raised in a Polish Catholic household. Right. Right. Midnight Mass. Yep. The absolute pinnacle mm-hmm. of worship. Right. I can't tell you how much I loved Midnight Did Mass. Did you really? Oh, my gosh. Oh, I mean, what a, an incredible! There's nothing I, I've yet to ever experience that high mountaintop experience that midnight mass was when I was a boy on Christmas Eve. Oh, 
unbelievable. The mm-hmm. celebration, the music, the organ, the hymns, the pageantry, the vestments, the ca- the, everybody's the ca- dressed up. Everybody's oh, coming down the center aisle of St. Anselm's, mm. and uh, the place is packed, standing room only, and then some people tr- smashing to get in the church. Oh, I love that! Gigantic. And people singing Silent Night or Oh Come All Ye Faith. I mean, the hymns. Right. And then clearly in the middle, the baby Jesus is here. And all the family, all the friends, all the people in your hometown that you know, they're all gathered for one specific reason, which is to worship the Christ child. Merry Christmas. It's overwhelming. It's incredibly beautiful. I love that. It's local, but it's also universal. Yeah. Gigantic. I love that. Well... Um, a lot happens before midnight mass in the Polish house, household. Um, and so there are a lot of traditional beliefs that go along with the celebration of the Christ child. Like, for example, Poles believe that on the first Christmas Eve, the earth opened at midnight. Okay, so when Jesus was born... The earth opened at midnight, trees, flowers bloomed, rocks trembled because of the birth of Jesus on earth, and animals in the forests and bees awoke from their winter sleep. And to this day, it's the only time when animals are given the gift of speech at midnight All right. because they were there when Jesus was born. I remember this from my childhood. You think about that. Mm-hmm. Isn't that a wonderful thing to yes. think about? I wanted my dog to talk to me. Wait, but did he? No. That's the problem because you were asleep. Um, the the reason that I, I really love that is um, not that I am convinced that that actually happened. Though it might have, I, I don't. I think that we and our rationalistic uh, worldview tend to close our mind to the incredibleness of the incarnation, that the the cosmic creator coming into this time and space was so cataclysmic. We can't possibly understand it, or or or. All we can do in our mind is minimize it because we can't, our our imaginations aren't big enough. So I love something that takes the imagination and kind of says, maybe it was this. I mean, Jesus said, if, if you all are quiet, the rocks will cry out. I mean, the whole creation responds to the creator, right? Um, So that's the first thing. So for days in advance, um, my uh, father, grandmother, great aunt, all you'd prepare your traditional uh, foods. But everyone's anxiously awaiting the moment when the first star appears in the sky because that's when the Christmas Eve feast begins. Mm. So once you see the first star, the feast can begin. You, the table is set with the best, right? The best linen, the best silverware, all of that. There's always a thin layer of hay either underneath the tablecloth or on top of the tablecloth so that you can remember that Jesus was born in a manger. So just, you know, little bits of little bits of hay. And then there's a chain that's tied around the four uh, legs of the table. And that symbolizes God's blessings and the unity of the family, right? And that even family members who are separated by distance are still united in heart. So um, I always put a chain on top of the table because someone always trips. trips. It's a real Watch tripping yourself. hazard. It's a real. Ouch, my... So I just put a chain on the table. Yeah. Um, and then on the table are candles. The mother lights the candles, symbolizing Christ is the light of the world. And then the father says a blessing. And then at the start of the meal, 
meal, everyone takes those little wafers. They're called Oplatek. Um, and they're, they taste like nothing. They're kind of like a communion host mm-hmm. type of thing, but they have an imprint on them of the, of the Christ child and yeah. the nativity and whatever. And so you turn to the person next to you and you say, Merry Christmas, and you break off a piece and you turn to the person. And that's supposed to symbolize your uh, wishes in the future that you would be willing to forgive. And that you'd be willing to accept forgiveness and that you and of course, there's uh, goodness wished for the new year and health and happiness and all those sorts of things. Um, and then there's um, also an extra place set at the table for an unexpected guest. Wonderful. And the Polish saying is that a guest in the home is God in the home. So this is all before worship on Christmas Eve. Right. This is all before any, that's all before anything happens. And then after that, after that point where I stopped, that's when all the food comes out. So that's when it's a, it's a, it's a fast meal for, um, poles. So that means there's no meat, but there is every other thing. So there's smoked meat, there's, uh, or smoked fish, there's fried fish, there are beans, there's soup, there are pierogi. Now this is interesting because, uh, Catholics believe no, you cannot eat an hour before communion. Oh, I never heard that. Mm-hmm. Really? Mm-hmm. Is that still the case? I don't know. Hmm. But I remember as a boy, you could not. Hmm. You had to wait an hour. So that was an early evening meal. Say it was like, you know, eight o'clock, I'm thinking yeah. nine o'clock yeah. at the latest, then people would have a meal and then there'd be a pause. But then you all went to midnight. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Now, if you're following this tradition, you're eating early because the first when you see a star, oh, of course, that might so be at five, five o'clock yeah. or five fifteen. Oh, great. So you got plenty of time. Right. Right. Now, interesting. When I was growing up. Uh, we didn't go to midnight mass. I mean, I wasn't Catholic yep. growing up. I had like a Catholic side of my family, which was the Polish side. And I had a Protestant side of the family, which was right, my right. mom's side. So we didn't go to midnight mass and neither did my dad's uh, relatives. And I think that it was because they were older at that point and it was more difficult for them to go. Hmm. They didn't want to be out at night. I don't know. They would go earlier. Okay. And maybe there were just more services. I don't, I don't know. But Could that's be. the way That's the I way mean, it in the old days, there was, there was just midnight mass. There wasn't a seven o'clock. No, zero. Oh, no. that was the only one. Right. And then the next day, you know, there were five or six different masses. So if you didn't go or you wanted to double up, you could do that as well. Hmm. Isn't that fun? Mm-hmm. Anyway, so that's just a little glimpse into what we do. And then, of course, for uh, dessert, cookies, pastries, that sort of thing. When you go, but then, no meat. But then you go to church, and then you come back from church, and of course everything is still waiting for you. Yeah, the, traditionally you're not supposed to clean up the Christmas Eve mm-hmm. feast. You're mm-hmm. supposed to leave it on the table until Christmas morning. Until Christmas morning. Yeah, that's what you're supposed to do. And so an unexpected guest can come in and get food, right. If they want it. However, the plenty was there. When you have animals in your house, that's not you happening. Clean it up, right, right, right. Okay, so Christmas morning was there a special food for you? Because Mm-mm. in our house, all of the traditional stuff Christmas is Christmas Eve. Eve. There is no traditional stuff any time after that. Interesting. So it was just whatever our family decided. Right, right. Well, I wonder, like, like Tom Soroka, Father Tom Soroka joins us. That's a very orthodox perspective. Um, um, who's our other orthodox priest who joins us? Um, mm, oh, Frederica? She's no, not a priest, no, but... In Carnegie. Oh, yeah. 
right? Mm-hmm. Jason Sharon, but he's Ukrainian Catholic. He's is that who you're thinking yes. of? Yeah. Okay. So what are the Ukrainians doing? I mean, mm-hmm. everyone's doing something a little bit different. And that's what's so great to, about living in a city like Pittsburgh is that you have people that really do this stuff. Sure. Still. Yeah. It's fun. I love it so much. Just last night, I was doing, uh, I do like a little uh, liturgy for the kids in our family to read on Christmas Eve Eve. so that they kind of read what we're doing. We did that. Yeah. And I like that. Yeah. I mean, growing up, we did that as a family. Yeah. There was a liturgy for us. You know, we would go to midnight mass, come home, eat, and then... Then when we were going to bed, all of us, my mother would read the Christmas story, of course, Mm. and there were prayers around that. Okay. All of us on our parents' bed. Really? Yeah. And then we would go to bed, which, of course, you could not sleep. My brother and I shared a bedroom. He's six years older than me. And we would talk all night long and listen and wait and anticipate for morning. That's so cute. Thinking. One year, my brother set the clocks so we were, we were you cannot wake don't wake mom and dad until 6 a.m well my brother set the clocks you mean all the clocks in the house oh my gosh their their, their clock especially he woke them at three <gasps> we all ran downstairs of course we did this whole you know thing they we opened up all the presents and it was like you know 3 30 my mom and dad were like what the <laughs> we, christmas came early that year yeah Mm-hmm. Uh, but then it's over. Well, no, not really. And we all went back to bed and sort of did it oh, again. Okay, Let's hit the reset button. Okay, That's all. got it. Anyway, every family does something. Yeah, wonderful. and it's it's fun to hear how different people do it a different so, way. You know, it's just the, it's the most incredibly beautiful yeah. day, the moment, the anticipation, all those things. This is unlike anything mm-hmm. in the whole wide world. Well, survival of the fittest? Maybe. Uh, Exercise might not be the key to longevity, according to new research. In fact, too much moving around could even be accelerating the aging process in our bodies. We talked about Finland earlier in the show, about uh, the saunas. Their commitment to the sauna. Well, well, Scandinavian scientists have revealed that just hold off a little bit on that exercise. An ambitious study on the oft-discussed subject has yet to been peer-reviewed, but it recently won a National Sports Medicine Prize in Finland, where the research was conducted over a 45-year period. Multiple studies have previously confirmed that those who exercise more live longer and healthier lives. However, uh, researchers in Finland found that physical activity might just be a small part of the larger picture and in some cases have negative health effects. Now, to conduct the study, 11,000 Finnish same-sex twins were analyzed from 1975 to 2020. Mm, okay. 11,000. That's a lot. Wow. The participants self-reported the time and intensity of their daily physical activity were categorized into four groups, sedentary, moderately active, active, and highly active. Overall, they found that those who exercised the least were about 20% more likely to die over the 45 years than those who were regularly active. Okay, that so sedentary sense. is bad. Yep. However, when they filtered for lifestyle factors, including education, BMI, smoking, alcohol consumption, that number dropped significantly. 
So that those in the sedentary group were only about 7% more likely to die compared to those in the active group with no additional benefits provided by higher level of exercise. As the age-old saying goes, according to the study, everything in moderation. The study showed that biological aging accelerated for those who exercised too little and for those who exercised too much. Mm. Those who were the most physically active, about 1.8 years older than those who did a more moderate amount of physical activity. The researchers concluded that those who exercise may not live longer because of their workouts, but because generally they live healthier lives. Mm. So it's not because of the exercise, it's because it's they're exercising because they have a healthy life. Right. They're not smoking. uh, Right. They're not not eating crappy food. They're not using... You're exercising because you choose to be healthy. You're leaning into that and all the other stuff around that, you and Shu as well. So you would live longer because of that. That makes sense. I mean, moderation is key to so many things. Yeah. Don't you think it is? Yeah. I really... Okay. Speaking of moderation, though, let me bring up this study. Um, Hot food... I have seen you in, you know, I've passed by your office Mm. when you're eating a hard-boiled egg with Franks on it. Yeah. Or Tabasco. Sure. Or something. And you seem to like that very much. (laughs) Isn't that funny? (laughs) You you see people that you work with, like, eating and go, what the heck? What are they doing? Yeah. Like, I never... Spicy hot food is good, right? Yeah, I never... Okay, so is that good? I think so. Okay. Well, you think so, but like we don't, you don't know that. Okay. Right? So uh, for years, I had this stop. Uh, I, I was doing this thing earlier in the day, and <laughs> and I would stop uh, at the Giant Eagle in Fox Chapel. Okay. And I'd buy myself a little tray of um, of sushi. Oh. Mm-hmm. And of course, with the sushi comes wasabi, right? Right. Which I love. Really? I don't you love wasabi? I hate it. What? This is okay, so this is the thing. I it's not the hotness that I hate. I just for some reason I despise the taste of it. The and there taste. Are, there are very few things that I just despise. Really? Like I just hate I hate the smell of it. Really? I hate the taste of it. Which is a shame because the news that we read today shows that you're gonna be on the positive side. A recent study out of Japan shows that wasabi um, turns into an event because it offers turns a, into an event mm-hmm, offers a really substantial boost to short and long term memory. Yeah, how about that? By turning up the heat on brain cells, this is. I'm reading here from Psychiatrist. Very nice. (laughs) And it says, uh, the study isolated a specific compound in wasabi. um, And it's known for its anti-inflammatory, antimicrobial properties. And so researchers conducted a 12-week double-blind randomized controlled study to assess the effects um, with healthy Japanese adults. A significant improvement was found in memory functions about those who received the wasabi supplement. Participants given the active ingredient experienced a 10% boost in working memory and a 12 percent boost in episodic memory. Interesting. Okay, great. So wasabi up. Have you ever had? Oh, so you don't like it? So I really hate it. I, our, I maybe I'm gonna have to learn to like it, right? Well, in our house, we have a wasabi in a squeeze bottle. Really? Yeah. Mm-hmm. You can buy it like that. We, yeah, we have it at home. You can dip it on anything. Lex, you gonna eat some wasabi? Uh, you know, she's shaking her head. No, you don't like it either, Lex. She's violent. No, nah, it's shaking. not my thing. No, it's not my thing either. You like sushi though, right? I love sushi, but not with wasabi. Not wasabi. No. What do you? No. What do you put on your sweet on your chili su- sauce? Really? 
Yeah. Soy sauce, maybe? No, I don't like soy what? sauce a whole lot. Is it's okay, but sweet chili sauce is my jam. Okay. All right. Uh, the results suggest that somehow... It enhances memory by reducing inflammation in the brain and revving up antioxidant activity. Mm-hmm. And if you take these two things together, these improvements seem crucial for protecting brain cells from age-related damage. All right. So that sounds like, you know, you're eating wasabi over a long period of time. And it's not like, you know, a hit of wasabi once a month. No. Right. If you're like a Japanese and that's part of your, you know, your culture, then you're going at it. Oh, and here's the thing. They were talking about wasabi supplement. I mean... I take a wasabi, a wasabi su- supplement. I mean, I would take one. I didn't know you could have a wasabi. Well, that's what they gave to these people. Really? Yeah. I mean, it... it, it Really? Yeah, they didn't eat wasabi. I don't do any uh, supplements, but l- lately I've been thinking about maybe I would take like a B12 supplement. You've never taken a supplement of anything. No, nothing. Why are all of a sudden you're interested in Because B12? I've had this really weird oh. sickness thing. And, I, and, you know, I had a little blood test and they were like, oh, you're a little de- mineral deficient here. Maybe you need to, you know, sort of step it up. So I'm wondering if B12 is the ticket. Oh, maybe I'll do some B12 and wasabi supplements. I don't know if wasabi supplements are a thing that is currently on the market. What? Well, you just read that. Well, yeah, but that was the thing for a medical study. I don't know if you, that means you can go to Target and pick some up. Hmm. Well, I'll just oh, go to Chinese and buy some sushi. You have, yeah, you could just eat it. I mean, mm. if if it's good for you, it I've got the sweet it's healthier eating the thing anyway instead of the supplement. Like, you never do like wasabi and um, scrambled eggs? Never, not a single time. Or hot sauce? No, but I guess I'm missing out. The Ride Home with John and Kathy, a production of Salem Media Group. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.